Hello, world. Hey. Hi. 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 Hello. Hello. Hi. It's like I've forgotten how to say hello. <laughs> hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka, the show where we shine a light on producers from all corners of the entertainment industry and dig into the messy parts of their journey, hence the Kaka. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. Whether you're a first-time listener or been with me since the jump, welcome to the show. I am elated that the stars aligned and you somehow found me in the interwebs. Let's consider this our meet cute. <laughs> this week on the show, I sat down with indie film producer Arsalan Osley. He is a friend, he is a fellow film lover, and one of my producing partners. He is a true mentor and a source of inspiration to me and anyone lucky enough to collaborate with him. Arslan was born in Iran and raised in Canada and the U.S. He began his career in investment banking and real estate development through his family's business in the Middle East. With cinema, art, and theatrics as his spiritual compass and lifelong passion, Arslan transitioned into the entertainment industry right after high school. In 2016, he and his creative partners founded 5-4, a multifaceted entertainment company engaged in the development, packaging, and production of content across all genres of independent film, television, and new media. He executive produced Hala, After Sophie, and Pretext, three renowned short films written and directed by trailblazing filmmaker Minhal Bey. His unyielding and impenetrable passion for film is palpable. I mean, I admit not knowing half the filmmakers and movies he mentioned during this chat. But that is just one of the many ways in which he makes me better every day. I've grown tremendously as a producer thanks to his patience, kindness, and uncompromising ethics. And so I'm very excited to share this week's chat with you. We go deep on many fun topics, such as adjusting our expectations around the business, how happiness comes from our relationship with the process, and the ways Hollywood can tell stories that will help the world alter its perception of black and brown people. Oh, and he really loves the F word. <laughs> so let's tune in and hear from Arslan. I'm so excited to talk to you because as we know, but listeners may not know, you and I are currently producing a, a movie together. Yes, we are. We are producing partners. Yes, we are. And uh, you're probably the first person I've had on the show who I'm directly and currently working with very, very closely. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so <laughs> I would love for you to take us to the beginning of, of your journey and how you discovered what the heck this industry and producing was. Yes. Well, um, it's great to be here. Uh, it's a little weird because, you know, you're right. We do see each other every day. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, got to put on a little bit of a formal face here. But in general, it's no it's formalities needed. <laughs> this, is, this is a chill space. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. I'm, as you know, a fan of your podcast and I'm a fan of our conversations. Okay. So it's uh, pretty cool to kind of combine these. And um, I appreciate you for your time. Uh, but um Kind of the concise nature of it is I was born in Iran, um, post-revolution Iran, and I moved around from a pretty young age, uh, lived in Dubai, uh, before it was really Dubai, um, Istanbul, uh, Frankfurt. I went to uh, preschool in Washington, D.C., in Georgetown. Uh, it was a pretty interesting experience, you know, uh, to be four years old and to be, you know, generating memories and living in DC, which is a really interesting ethnic hub of the United States. And for me to kind of start to grow and foster my idea of what America is through Georgetown and DC in the early nineties 
was um, really interesting for me. You know, my uh, my uncle had a smoke shop in the middle of Georgetown, and this is like early '90s Georgetown, so it's a little different. And um, I just hang out there in the middle of the night, and at like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, play drums on like makeshift drums and eat pizza with with the homies you were older at this point you're not four years it's old like five. you're not four I was years like old five <laughs> okay so progressive but still wow. i just roam around i know i was like i was roaming around the streets and just really inundating myself with um a yeah, different yeah. culture you know i um i was you know I moved around a lot when I was young, but like DC and Georgetown and like some of the early American isms that were, you know, washed over me being that young and being a sponge, it really started to, um, open my perspective, uh, creatively, culturally, societally. Um, and then right after I finished just before first grade started, you know, my family decided to move to Canada. So I went to Toronto, Vancouver, did the whole Canadian thing. And, played hockey and um, uh, ended up moving right after high school from Vancouver to LA to uh, go to film school and start my career in the business. I knew from a very early age, not too early. I mean, not that any of that shit really matters. <laughs> we can swear ish. Absolutely. On the podcast. Oh, right. yeah. um, you know, I knew from a, from a pretty early age, like I was interested and curious in, cinema and in art. I grew up in my family business, which is uh, corporate and residential real estate development and investment banking, et cetera, in the Middle East. So I had a lot of exposure to business, which I'm very um, humble for and grateful for because it helped me sharpen my knife and be able to wear that hat in this business, You know, being able to balance mm. creative and business affairs. Mm, super important. Very important. So it was very helpful in that regards. And um, it's uh, good to have those type of long teeth coming into a business like this. And then I, um, when I moved down here, I was, you know, I just turned 18 and listen, like I grew up on 60s, 70s, 80s, international and domestic cinema. Um, everyone from the new wave of Iranian post-revolutionary cinema to Chinese new wave, Taiwan new wave, uh, Southeast Asian, Eastern Europe. I cut my teeth on a lot of Kiara Stami movies and, uh, Kaislowski and uh, Jafar Panayi, Api Chapong, um, of course, on the domestic side, a lot of Alan Pakula movies, uh, Polanski, Coppola, uh, Oliver Stone. I think Oliver was definitely the filmmaker that oriented my creative velocity and trajectory and understanding that cinema is a pretty lethal form of uh, societal and cultural change. Mm, yes. Yes. His work from the mid eighties to the mid nineties was really a like a almost indefatigable, untouchable run of, I think 10 or 11 movies in 10 years, like platoon, El Salvador, born on the fourth, uh, born on the 4th of July, wall street, JFK, Nixon talk radio. And they all had a mission, you know, for me to kind of look at a movie like platoon, because we're, you know, uh, on the Western side of thinking the movies that we are given the art form that we're given when it comes to, you know, the, uh, American military isms and the American military industrial complex is very much in line with like the saving private Ryan's and the, uh, Clint Eastwood's of the world and no disrespect. Like I, I love, and I appreciate and respect those filmmakers, but it's, um, through an American exceptionalistic lens, which 
you know, I don't mm. always agree with and what I really respect in Oliver, even though I don't think he's quite on the same trajectory now, but what I really respected in watching a movie like Platoon and growing up and understanding the complexities of global warfare was that it's not what it seems and don't listen to what they feed you and do your homework. Yeah. You know, the information is there for you to truly realize what these uh, affairs and these, you know, uh, this theater of war is for. And ultimately, of course, it's all for the, you know, for the greenback, for the money. And anyway, bef- besides we get down that, but before we get down that <laughs> rabbit hole. So I really cut my teeth yeah. on those type of filmmakers, you know, yeah. and, um, and, and more so in high school, cutting my teeth on reading and understanding, you know, the, the fundamentals of the story. And I grew up in a lot of, James Ellroy books and Donna Tartt and Cormac McCarthy and, um, and, um, and Raymond Chandler. I loved, I love a good, I love a great thriller. Graham, Graham Green, um, David Foster Wallace, mm-hmm. really just trying to understand like, you know, again, the fundamentals of storytelling, but also the fundamentals of the human condition, you know, like that's again, been another pillar of mine and trying to understand my creativity and the stories I want to tell and the missions that I set for like, you know, the slate, it's ultimately, what is the conversation? When you watch Chloe Zhao's The Writer, who's another one of my favorite filmmakers, what conversation is she engaging the audience with? There's a line to happiness there, you know, even if it means uh, paralyzing yourself. And it's really a beautiful meditation on that. So again, this was where my mindset was. In my in my teens and in my early twenties and coming to LA and wanting to right and I, I'm missing so many filmmakers like Kubrick and Hitchcock and a lot of other uh, authors that I really cut my teeth on but generally it was all about the mission it was all about what is the effect on society what is the effect on culture for me as you know like when you're going to die on the top of a hill for a film you know is it going to be something that can speak far far longer than what your legacy is and ultimately you know, can it breathe and sustain with earth? Yeah. So how do you, how do you go from, you know, you have been working in your family business in the Middle East and you got to have this other aspect of your development, right? With the business affairs sort of understanding of how to fundraise and how to spend money and budget and all that stuff. So how do you let go of all of that, Mm -hmm. which probably seemed very safe and Mm -hmm. in some senses, potentially easy to stay on that course and then pivot into something that is very uncertain. And then, you know, the kinds of films you're describing, these are tours, the, the, the kind of creatives that get into it for the craft and not for the money, right? You're not passionate about Fast and the Furious. Like you're passionate about these movies that you said are conversation starters. They move the needle. They are cultural shifting kinds of films. Right. So it seems like such a departure from where you were headed. So how do you get to that crossroads and go, I'm going to leave all of this behind and I'm going to go yeah. and venture into this wildly uncertain, unknown, yeah. faraway land that is Los Angeles and I'm going to make it work. So like, I guess the question is, what gave you the confidence or the impetus at the time 
to leave all of that behind and go try something that was so uncertain? That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, the root of that was having incredibly supportive parents, you know, mm. and which I'm, I don't know if I will truly understand it until I'm a parent myself, but their support was again, indefatigable and a pillar, you know, I, I am an only child and like, I can't understand what the thought process emotionally and spiritually and mentally of what my parents had to process or understand of like, you know, he, he has this passion and it's been a burning passion, a, a compounding passion, a organic passion, mm. um, for a long time. And they, you know, they, they opened those doors for me in a sense of, you know, they, allowed me to absorb myself in a lot of creativity and a lot of reading and watching movies and and allowed for a very uh liberal type of home in that sense you mm. know and yeah. it, it all it starts from them you know like from the sincerest depths of my heart i don't know if i would have been here without their support particularly because i'm the first of my name in america you know i um, I had to not only bear the guerrilla force of the United States immigration immigration system, but also, you know, build a foundation that is, you know, s soil and seed in America to start the legacy for my name and my generation. And again, not to sound like ostentatious in any yeah. way, but like that was the risk my parents were taking. They were like, instead of staying in Canada, instead of coming right. back to the Middle East and, and continuing to work in the family business, like we're going to let you fly and breathe and we're going to support you. And we don't understand the nature of the business or the complexities or the machinations of it, but like we support you because this is where your heart is. That type of integrity and that type of wisdom and foresight as as a mother and a father, like I think that was what gave me my strength to make that decision to come here. The other one was is is not was, but is my unyielding, impenetrable passion for storytelling. Yeah. Being mostly a pretty independent, internal, you know, I guess in introverted yeah. person, like I just much rather always, you know, if I if I wasn't if I wasn't working, you know, cuz I started at a very early age or if I wasn't playing hockey or handling school, I was just home by myself. Yeah. Watching movies. Yeah. Man. You know, like it was just it's just that that passion. So then you flew to LA. You were a little birdie, got to fly all the way from Canada to LA. And then what, what point did producing come into your world? And how did that journey start for you? I, I moved down to LA to write and direct and produce. Um, you know, we've had this conversation briefly, like, at, you know, at some point in my career, I'd love to be in a position to direct. Um, I mean, I don't want to say again, because I've only worked on sh shorts and those were like, you know, 10 plus years ago, but directing is ultimately at the root of my creative endeavors, but producing is something that encompasses all of my passions. Again, creative affairs, business affairs, um, yeah. building a team, collaborating with the team, find, you know, finding ways to not just empower the team, but for the team to empower you. It's just, you know, all the stuff mm -hmm. that we engage with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you yeah. know, th those were the things that were very, um, attractive to me and intoxicating. Um, so when I'm, 
when I started writing and directing and, you know, made a few shorts that got a lot of cool acclaim around the, around the continent and opened a lot of doors for me and helped me really, you know, at that time there was a huge divisive conversation around digital and film and, um, you know, photography is something that I've loved. So that was an element that I was really involved in with Panavision with Kodak and championing the support of film. Um, it was a lot more polarizing of conversation then than it was now. I think now mm-hmm. folks have accepted that, like, you know, if it's in the purview of your budget or creative, like you can make it work. Um, but I, um, you know, th- that was the start and then transitioned from there through, you know, just like I said, the tediousness of immigration here and had to restructure a lot of what I wanted to do and ultimately landed in full-time producing um, in an independent sense, entrepreneurial sense and um, with my three partners. And we started our company. What does 5-4 stand for? So 5-4 is essentially the FIVE forward slash four. It's the time signature. It's the musical time signature, the anomalistic time signature. The majority of it is in 4-4 and 5-4 is uh, an anomaly. And that's kind of, again, in a metaphorical sense, you know, what we what we attempt to do with our work and us being, you know, yeah, agnostic yeah. in a genre sense, but mission based, you know, like we're looking we're looking for commerciality, but like more so it was what I was telling you about at the top of our conversation, you know. What is the conversation? What is the discussion? You know, I learned pretty early on in this business that, you know, you don't want to create anything that is answering questions because mm. that's uh that's ultimately counterproductive in a sense. Well, it's not what art is for, right? Art right. is supposed to raise questions that in the best in the best of scenarios, you walk out of that experience with a conversation you can have with the people you just had that experience with. And hopefully those conversations transpire into like change and action and shifting up perspectives. E- yeah. Exactly, dude. Exactly. Yeah. It's like we already have a pretty intense deficiency of education in the United States. I mean, frankly, in the world, you know, the idea of the idea of liberal arts has been, you know, transmogrified into like some sort of like political or institutional belief of being, you know, um, uh, smarter or, you know, again, intellectualism has has been has been morphed into a negative. Yeah. Again, I don't mean yeah. to sound uh, pretentious. It's just like, you know, this simple idea of education and learning and having doubt of the system. Critical thinking. Critical thinking. It's critical thinking. I think we've lost. Yeah. I don't mean like tinfoil conspiratorial conversations. I mean, just like basic, (laughs) like did, did rabbit hole, did America, you know, because it's a 75, 75th anniversary. Did America really need to drop the atomic bombs in Japan? Absolutely not. The war was over. It was a fucking sign. It was a signal. It's important for our generation to know this and learn this because ultimately history is our future. You know, our past is our prologue. And it's like, well, yeah. And it's also written by the the winners usually, right? So we never get to see the full, of course, America's two-time world war champs, you know, and, and that, you know, all that, bullshit which we'll talk about in a second and again a hopefully concise way but um anyway so made the transition into full-time producing creative producing um started our company which is you know fully fledged creative you know we finance the packaging we finance development and you know we have a couple of uh, exciting things going for next year how do you how do you define producing oh man um 
I should do a compilation of every time I've asked this question and then every person's reaction is the same. It's always like, it's like this labor of thought. Yeah, it's difficult in a sense because it's multiple things, you know? Yeah. Writing and directing in a non-dismissive way are very focused singular lanes you know you're doing a fucking million things at once as a writer and a director right but like they're definable in a sense Uh, you know as a producer it really depends you know I think as you said every individual is a different outlook on what producing is and I think you know for me it's creative first you know like nothing fucking matters it's not creative first you know this whole business I understand it's a business and you know the ultimate color of power is the color of the greenback but like ultimately you know even that is like a little bit of you know uh, hyperbolic bullshit ultimately the creative the story the writer like that's the root yeah you know for me producing comes from the written work you know I have like umpteenth respect for writers and it's insane how the future film world treats writers but like you know it's like real estate the nucleus of real estate is location the the nucleus of our work is writing so for me the root of producing is the written work is the story so honing and fostering your voice your voice as a storyteller for me producing starts with what do i want to help tell what what story what where do i want to shine a spotlight what do i ultimately want to tell if i'm taking this five plus year endeavor most of the time on a story from the very root you know and for me that's what the beginning that's what the nucleus of producing is story 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 and then filmmakers you know and then the individuals that are going to execute that story and interpret it um all the business affairs and like fucking crazy packaging right. bullshit you know we deal with it every day that stuff that stuff like again not being dismissive in any way like those are elemental financing aspects and, yeah. and parts of putting together a film but you know the intangible the kind of ethereal element of it all is the story is your voice like your subjective voice on like what type of stories you want to tell you know and it takes time mm-hmm. It takes time to, to foster that. It's all you have. I mean, we we talk about this a lot, it, it most almost all the time, but like this idea of taste and that as a producer, really, it's the one thing you have that makes you intrinsically Correct. you because a lot of this other stuff, right, can be learned, but your taste is what That's in the makes you you. Correct. It just had a guest on well, the last week's episode, which I don't know when this will air, but we, you know, it reminded me of this Ira Glass quote about taste and the gap between the taste that you, you have when you get into to something creative and your expectations of where how you're going to be execute at the level of the taste that got you into the game in the first place 100%. but you can't start at the ground floor doing something that's going to take you you know 10,000 hours to get to that level where you can finally have the gap between your taste and what you can execute as a creative fi- like they exactly. to the point where they are one and what he says is that a lot of people don't know that and so they give up before they get before the gap is so narrow that it's imperceptible. And um, it's just been something I've been really meditating on this week, because I just love that quote. And it's so true. And while so much of producing can be perceived as not creative by 
others. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there is such mystery and mystique between, you know, what we do. I do think it's still a very important part of like keeping that forward momentum for yourself, for your soul, which then you can help inject in the the collaborations that you have with your filmmakers. And it's an important like sort of ping pong exchange. And if you're not also on that wavelength, I think it makes the journey that much harder. And as we know, you know, the independent film hustle is is not for everybody (laughs) it is not for the faint of no it's not it's not it's it's not you know it requires a very different constitution you're you know you're honing in on again your inner constitution your makeup your construct as an individual and are you set for it and again i have a lot of respect for my friends and our colleagues who work within the institutional side of the business you know the the machinery side of the business that requires its own finesse, it requires its own diplomacy, its own politics. Ultimately, the essence of democracy is compromise. And I think, Mm. you know, you really need to hone in on that philosophy to be able to succeed, not just as an independent producer, you can still be unfucking compromised. I mean, you can be unfucking compromising, (laughs) but you still need to have an essence of compromise and diplomacy to get the project made because I've seen filmmakers who are inimitable in their talent but get in their own fucking way they're self-destructive I think one of the most beautiful projects ever made sincerely ever made at least one of the best in the past decade was Alex Garland's illustration of Annihilation because it completely deals with self-destruction, you know? And I watch that film frequently to remind me and be and let it be a cautionary tale of self-destruction mm. where you need to you need to be uncompromising, but you need to also find the solutions to create and to make and release the work. You know, ultimately you need to be able to share it and put it into the world so that conversation can start. How do you do that? How do you do that personally for your soul? Um I don't know how to answer this without sounding again, like too metaphysical or philosophical. You need to, you need to consistently reassess your relationship with time. You need to consistently reassess your relationship with what defines your happiness, what defines your success. You know, the legacy of a well-made film project, the conversation, the legacy of the conversation, you know, the legacy of the conversation of one single project can Mm. mean so much as opposed to just releasing 10 films in fucking five years that, you know, are meaningless. No disrespect. Every time you release a movie, you got to fucking, you know, send a prayer up to the film gods. (laughs) You know, I think you need to reassess your relationship with time, with the process. You know, one of the things that I see really inundate folks with negative and pessimistic thinking is their relationship with the process. And again, that includes the relationship with time. You know, what does the process of filmmaking and creative producing mean to you? Does it mean working towards a result? Does it mean working towards actually being able to share a really brilliant project a story those are two very different things you know it takes it takes time you have to dance with the yeah. pro- with the process it is a fucking day interesting i always i always think of it as a marathon but i like the idea of a a dance much better yeah because with a marathon like listen it it is 
it is ultimately a marathon, but there's a finality to a marathon. Mm. A dance can technically go on so long as you have endurance. You know, you need balance and you need rest, but endurance supersedes everything. You know, I'm paraphrasing a James Baldwin quote, but he says that, you know, most of all, you need endurance. You know, you can have talent fucking spewing out of you yeah. like oil out of the fucking Saudi, you know, uh, <laughs> oil fields. But it doesn't mean shit if you don't have endurance, if you don't have um, passion for the process. Yeah. Because yeah. as you know, this business punches you in the face independent yeah. film producing punches you in the face every single day yes. in 14 different ways and you need to reassess you know your your love and your inner constitution you know and if you have some yeah. of those pillars that i was talking about you know your love for story um your love for the process you know and there these aren't answers by the way Kato. these are these are relationships with yourself the relationship with you and the process of independent filmmaking is a relationship that needs fostering, mm. just like a fucking plant. You yeah. can't just wake up one day and be like, well, I got it. Dude, blowing my mind. I think you, I feel like maybe your beard is turning you into a wise <laughs> sage of some sort. You're, you're saying all the things like you're, you're nailing it. And I, I, I for the listeners, you know, I just, we, I talk so much on the show about the frustrations and the hardships and the challenges of having the stamina, having the endurance for this dance that is this path. And I think one of the the biggest takeaways, uh, having been working with you now since like February, is how much you've been instrumental in this season of my my own journey and helping lift me up and helping me get insight and understand different parts of the process of producing that I had not. Uh, known about so intimately i sort of knew on a general scale but like getting to work with you on this film that we're working on together like you teach me so much of this stuff every day but more importantly i i often joke that i feel like i should just be paying you because you're you, you constantly provide you know a, a, like this sort of inspiration and infusing and reminding me of the why and reminding me of like to keep going and in that way to me that is that is a form of mentorship peer-to-peer mentorship that I've I've been seeking my whole career and I feel like I I have glimpses of that with the podcast and I, I really do believe everyone who comes on the show mentors me for that one hour and hopefully listeners feel the same but with you it's so special because it's been a gift that has kept on giving and every time I'm spiraling out or I'm like like, fuck this, I want to burn it to the ground. Why won't this person email me back? Why isn't this happening? And just like, woosah, you know, just kind of like reminding you. And I think part of that endurance that you speak of is having people in our lives and in our journeys, whether they're in the business or not, who can kind of help you navigate that, the, 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 the opposite side of it. You know what I mean? That's happiness. That's success. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be superficial and super fucking self-righteous and say like, yeah, the critical and commercial success and the fucking awards and all that. Yes, it's a part of the legacy and it is a part of what we do this for. But again, at the root, what you just talked about, the camaraderie, the creative collaboration, mm -hmm. the journey of the creative collaboration, the pains, the sorrows, the heartbreak, that's where ultimately... Yeah. I know it's weird. That's where happiness lies. 
you talk about our relationship and how that's helped grow you and your process, it, the road goes two ways, you know? Uh, you know, I think mentorship works on both angles. It's like how we teach our parents, you know? Everyone is a human being. No one is special. No one is special. They might be older. They might have a little bit more tenure, but they're human beings and they breathe the same fucking oxygen as we do. So as much as they can teach us, we can teach them. Not only teach in a prognosticating or pontificating way. I sincerely mean that in an emotional and spiritual Mm. way, uh, because that's a part of the sustenance. You know, that's a part of the happiness and success for me. I can go through a week of fucking shit in this business where you're constantly going back to the drawing boards and trying to figure out how to get something done, but still be fucking happy because of the people. I'm working and collaborating with. Yeah. Because all it takes is a little <laughs> bit of that energy to change everything. Yeah. It's so true. It's like, you know, it, it, I feel like being an independent filmmaker, you constantly feel like you're operating on such highs and lows. It's like you're always in the extremes of everything. You could literally have in the morning, like the worst news of the day. And then by the end of the day, have the best news of the day. And it could be something insignificant, truly, but it just fills you up with that energy and gives you that burst to like, keep going another day to keep going, keep doing the dance, believing that it's all going to lead you to, to a place where you eventually can share that dance with others, you know, and just be like, here's, here's the thing we created. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I want to shift gears for a bit because so much of this show is talking about the the hardships and and really shining a light on on the unglamorous, unsexy parts. The real of fun, the, the work that it takes, the self, yeah. the self work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the, to actually have that stamina and keep going. It's like I'm about to have my tw- my my 14th year anniversary, and it's like whoa! I, I feel so grateful that I'm still here. I, I and I haven't become a cynical asshole in the process. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong. But you know, like it's so important to me to give listeners true understanding into those challenges and then how my guests like navigate those those moments and those ups and downs and find that strength to keep going even when you haven't necessarily had people on your corner that maybe could have like given you that boost, you know, Mm -hmm. what are some of the biggest challenges so far in your career that you faced that really threw you off your center and you just like bounce back? Like, and how did you do that? That's a great question. I mean, I think a big part of this business is again, like reassessing your relationship with expectations. Expectations can lead you down unproductive paths. Uh, And I think, you know, reorienting your expectation has been big, you know, thinking that just because you were able to attach so-and-so element, it's going to create some sort of insane amount of fluidity towards getting the project to production. That's a fallacy of expectation where you're like, wow, even though I'm working with so-and-so who has so-and-so behind them, it's still, you know, your confidence has to be infectious when you're putting a project together, right? So one of the most challenging parts of a project is, you know, breathing new life cycles and a runway of stamina into that project. For example, I have a uh, project that we're going to be idealistically shooting in Q4 of 2021 in New York, um, following our project. It's a little bit bigger than what we're doing. And um, it's a challenging project in many um, 
physical producerial and creative producerial ways. And it's been a journeyman's type project, um, but it's a beautiful, sensitive and tender story about a homeless um, black underground artist and how you uh, need and the, the essence of the story is about reconciling your trauma, reconciling your past to be able to hone into your gift and be able to share that gift with the world. Because ultimately, even if you recognize your gift, it's meaningless if you can't share it with the world. And that's what is at the center of this project. And um, it's been challenging because from the very first days of the project, when I had folks tell me that I can't get your movie financed because there's a black guy on your poster, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm very sure those same individuals have a different perspective these days. (laughs) They're singing a different tune and they're singing a different tune. And whether it's for Mm -hmm. performance or bottom line purposes, I think they woke up and smelled the fucking green behind minority based Mm -hmm. stories. Yep. You know, we and we'll get to this when we discuss, you know, some of the deeper legacy conversations. But ultimately, it's all a fucking concept, right? It's a construct. But but it's a lot, right? Like all of this, yes. But I'm I'm just curious how then you personally, with this insurmountable pressures of that, and all for whether for an individual project or all of the projects. But how do you navigate all of that and find the strength and the endurance? to keep going, to keep pushing through, because it's like at every turn, there's a a new roadblock, right? Uh, There's about two or three things. I think to get super specific, one is the team you're working with. If you're, you know, let's just kind of take it project by project. If you're in a place that's super challenging on a project and you're getting a lot of just passes or pushback, or you're just getting a lot of feedback, that's like, it's going to be fucking tough to make this film. Again, you need to have like an internal conversation of, am I trying to reach for something that is truly just improbable and I'm wasting my bandwidth on it? Or is it something that I will fucking die on the top of the hill for? If you internally trigger that part of your brain and you, again, constitutionally fucking feel that, you will find a way. That's one part of it. The other part was the team you're working with. If you're working with people that you can fucking go to war with, be in the trenches with, have tough conversations with, be vulnerable with, know that at the end of every tough conversation, that relationship is only getting stronger and you're working towards this one goal, which is sharing the work with the world, you will find the way. And ultimately, the very last one is what we've discussed. Passion. Passion, passion, passion. You know, if I'm in a shitty place and I'm having a tough time, we're fucking human beings. We have blood coursing through our veins. I watch my favorites. I go back and I read and I watch my fucking favorites. It instantly fucking catalyzes a boost of energy and inspiration in me that takes me to the next day. And I'm like, I'm fucking prepared. Yeah, ready to go to battle. Ready to go to battle. Where every problem is a human-made problem. Ergo, every problem has a human-made solution. Mm. That's it. (laughs) <laughs> you know so yes. it's like these are these are some of the concise pillars i go back to when i'm like desperately trying to like yeah find some breathing space in a project that's just got a lot of pressure especially on the projects that we want to tell that like go against the conceptual grain right you know yeah and when you're not telling you know big commercial stories that the stamina to ha- you have to have to believe in these 
seemingly smaller intimate stories that really um like as like you said cr- have create and pose questions sure. to the to the viewer is a much harder path but like sometimes you watch a piece of art that reminds me of like wow there's other people also fighting the good fight and getting these kinds of stories made like last night i watched yeah. peanut butter falcon finally it's been recommended to me <laughs> for years and i was like oh my god yeah. like this movie yeah. is why i do this yeah. you know like these kinds of stories that's right this is real. This is possible. This can and should exist. And this is how... How does it make you feel? How does it make you feel after watching that? Like, how does it make your heart feel? Incredible. It makes me like want to cry that there are people out there, you know, who are willing to be brave enough to put up capital and time and talent to go and tell a story that isn't it isn't going to necessarily be a sexy viewing experience, but it is about the human condition. And it is only through art that we can change perspectives and we can, and we can in a safe sort of space, bring new light into a subject matter or a, a lifestyle that we may not really know anything about. And uh, it gives empathy, you know, it's, it allows us to empathize with the, yes. And there it is. There's the word. Those are the moments that I'm like, when it gets hard, I just remember that there are many movies like that, like Short Term 12, uh, Amelie, some of my favorite movies, you know, that just really Beautiful. speak to this idea. Beautiful. But so so to that to that point, you know, I know we, we, we've talked off mic a lot about yeah. you being from the Middle East and how how people from the Middle East tend to be perceived in cinema, yes. <laughs> especially American cinema. Oh, yes. And, you know. And there's so many incredible Iranian films that like have nothing to do with terrorism or any of that. And and we have bonded over this thing too, where I feel like being Brazilian, we don't need any more movies about the favelas or the corruption in in the political like climate. We, we seen those, we get it. It's still there. It's still real. It's still an issue. Let's address it. Let's try to find a better way. But I want to see other stories of the human condition out of these countries because I know they're real. We know they're real. And I want others Americans, especially people who aren't as traveled, who who only see fear when they think about the Middle East, to to like just again empathy, show them a whole new perspective on how we're more connected than separated. And so, I, I just monologued, but yeah, will you speak to yes. that a little bit? No, it's listen. I sometimes. You, you have to be diplomatic in how you express or articulate your feelings on something like this, considering how culpable our business has been in orienting the perspective of yeah. Americans, you know, particularly Caucasian Americans towards their feelings of the Middle East. You know, I think I think one of the pillar export, you know, I mean, the granddaddy cultural export of America is Hollywood. Yep. Right. Yep. It's something that America reveres. And they wear it on their sleeve that like, you know, our cultural export of Hollywood is significant and it is, but it also is prejudice. It's racist. Mm. It's conceptually backwards in many ways. And again, kind of trying my best to choose my words carefully here because being political, there's a lot of individuals in our business who are of high rank and tenure who have been culpable capital c culpable from the agencies to the studios to the networks to the filmmakers i mean a list individuals across every element of this business has been fucking 
culpable in orienting a global view of particularly fucking brown people, particularly after 9-11, and you think about the codependency of interests in which films like American Sniper and Lone Survivor serve. Mm. No disrespect to those filmmakers, but I'd love to share a couple of glasses of scotch and sit down with those filmmakers and ask them questions about their perspective of brown people. Now, of course, we're in the middle of an uprising, at least I hope it's a sustainable uprising, with respect to Black Lives Matter and Black voices and Black creatives and Black filmmakers. And I think not only is that obviously necessary, it's overdue, and it's just fucking insane to me how a country that has literally been galvanized off the back of Black labor, they haven't given them their equity or their equality. Yeah. To me, giving them voting rights in 68 is the basic fucking minimum. It's drinking water. Yeah. So the fact that 50 years later, we're still dealing with this type of proto-fascist bullshit is, again, our business is culpable. Yeah. You know, there's no point in naming names, A, because I don't want to jeopardize the future of my fucking business. (laughs) Yeah, no. Don't throw anybody under the bus. Yeah, that's just unfortunately how this business works in some sense. But ultimately, my biggest goal as a filmmaker My biggest goal as a creative producer, as an individual in this business, is to bridge that fucking divide, is to find Mm -hmm. as many local Iranian, Qatari, Arab, uh, Israeli, uh, Lebanese, goodness, what they're going through right now, uh, Iraqi, Afghani, Pakistani. I mean, I'm missing countries, but I want to find them there, there, and help bridge the divide in bringing and telling their stories on a global scale. Now, I'm not arrogant or ignorant. I understand that, you know, there's a lot of uh, individuals in the Middle East that work hand in hand with the Neohawk military industrial complex folks in this country. And they work hand in hand to, you know, grow this theatrical war to grow this ever, you know, evergreen bottom line approach. Yeah. Um, As I said, it's a codependency of interests. But this country, America, that positions itself as the as the you know grand altruistic country grand altruistic culture and society of freedom i mean freedom is a fucking paradox but uh, this grand altruistic system the way particularly after 911 this business has oriented its storytelling against middle easterns has been infuriating and i look forward to the day that i can help and be a part of systematically, institutionally, and creatively changing that. And I already am. And I have friends that are already are. There are agents in this business that are. I need to be, you know, I need to say that there are. Yes, it is. It is unfortunate that it's like in the, it feels like in the recent years, it's like that is sure. starting to happen. And I think, you know, so grateful for shows like Rami on Hulu, which is all about navigating being a Muslim, you know, in New York and like in your 20s. And I I knew nothing about Muslim. I knew nothing really about Egyptians, really. And so ignorant of me, I'm also an immigrant. But like, how much of that show, how much of the struggles mirror my own experience, you know, it blew me away. That's the power of storytelling. Exactly, exactly. That's the power. That's the power. And it's like Haifa Al-Mansur is one of my favorite fucking filmmakers. She did this movie, I think, five years ago called Wajda. It's on iTunes for anyone that wants to go watch it, but it's about a 
young Saudi girl who wants to buy a fucking bike. <laughs> now, God bless Sony Pictures Classic for releasing that movie, if I'm not mistaken, in the US and for championing her. And God bless UTA and Anonymous for representing her. And she's just one of fucking thousands upon thousands. But that's what I'm yeah. talking about. We need to see Americans because when an American, when a unintellectual, excuse me for saying that, but an individual who has either been repressed because of their uprising or because of where they live in this country or just generally because of their constitution. When they watch an American sniper, they will go into the voting booth and they will participate in the concourse of politics different than when they watch a a Wajda or when they watch Jafar Panoi's offside this is the power of cinema man this is what i'm talking about yes if you watch it those those stories are getting told but they're not reaching the kinds of people that could have their perspectives changed that needs to change and i think like foreign films are an extension of travel like if you can't travel and go be in these environments and go be in these countries and be literally in someone else's world for a minute and step outside your bubble and see what else people deal with, like what else, what their life is like, you can't have that. You know, exactly. so if I could like revolutionize, you know, the way things are, are done here in the States, it's like, I wish that it, there was a mandatory requirement when you were 18 years old to go spend a year abroad somewhere and immersing yourself in a completely different culture and learning about someone else's experience of the world because you would come back to the States feeling so grateful about the way things actually function and work here and that in all of its imperfections, it's still one of the better places to be, hence why even my family immigrated, right? But also, you look at people with a completely different lens and you can zoom out and see the world is so much bigger than your hometown, than than your state, than your country. You know, and, and if you see it, literally see it, feel it, like you're breathing the same air as these people, yeah. like it is then yeah. impossible to dehumanize yeah. them and devalue their experiences. Yes. I, I don't know. I think that's the secret. I think that's the key. And I think because travel has really only since the 80s, if you think about it, become something that most people can finally afford to do. I hope that people in general but if you're a young person listening if you're like 17 18 like the best thing you can do if you want to be an artist if you want to be in this business is go out into the world and experience the world because that is how you get your taste and that is what's going to make you intrinsically you and then all the rest of the stuff you can figure that out but if you have nothing to say if you have nothing to contribute to the conversation then why are you doing it? And and maybe you do just want to make money and just want to get rich and you can be the, the 1% unicorns that becomes that. I, I, Great. I, I hope so. Then get the fuck out of my way. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Go make your yeah. money. Go do your thing. You know, put Mark Wahlberg in your story yes. and let him go shoot a bunch of fucking brown people or put Bradley Cooper in your story and let him go shoot a bunch of black people wearing a fucking American flag. Yeah. You know? And tell that and tell that story and let that contingent of America continue to vote one way, continue to support one line of thinking while the rest of the world progresses. <laughs> Talk about a lethal form of change. Cinema is a passport to culture. Yeah. You look at uh you know, some of Sebastian Lulio's movies in Chile, and you look at Pablo Lorraine's movies in Chile, you look at uh, Kleber and Karim's movies in Brazil, you talk about not seeing another city of God. That's why mm. I love some of 
clever and cartoons movies in Brazil because they talk about regular Brazilian life. Not that it's not important to spotlight the fucking trials and tribulations, but I also want to see what a regular fucking Brazilian does in a regular fucking day. Same, same thing with, same thing with Lucrecia Martel and her films in Argentina. I can go down the fucking list. That's, that's right. What means everything to me. Top line oriented filmmaking on a studio level is what Matt Reeves did with the apes movies, his two apes movies where he took us just a little older because we were apes, yeah. it's just evolution. And he showed us how nothing has changed on a deeper cognitive biological level, <laughs> you know? And that's what I love. And those movies made a fuck ton of money. <laughs> yeah. That's who I respect. That's the type of Hollywood studio at its best. At its best, right? It's, it's, it's Jordan Peele, it's Get Out, it's these kinds of movies that can go on to become, they're not following any older models of what has existed. They're literally going out on a limb, taking a risk, and all of the gods, the movie gods are aligning for this to be something that succeeds. More, more black, more brown. Yeah, I just would love for you to end on on that note of mentorship and leveling up and how to stay the course. I try to look at it as just sharing experience and not so much, you know, sharing counsel or advice. And for me, you know, mentorship and the camaraderie of collaboration and the energy and the kind of frequencies of collaboration is everything in this business. You know, you kind of hear this all the time in the business of, you know, this business is ultimately a business of relationships. You know, you can sit down and name me all the DPs from the thirties and all the directors that directed every single film out of, you know, Hungary. I love that. And I'll get into it all day, but ultimately for me, it's who are you as an individual? That is the key element. You know, time is, a considerable asset and every new individual and partner you meet and work with, you know, reorients your relationship with yourself, you know? And I think ultimately at the end of the day, it is a person to person business. You know, I hold my relationships and foster them with incredible detail with incredible thoughtfulness and mindfulness, they mean a great deal to me, not because I'm looking towards uh, uh, targeting a result with that relationship, but at its root, growing through that relationship. Ultimately, to me, like that's where the happiness and success lies. Yes, getting the movies released, building a portfolio and creating more and being able to have the platform to go find and foster the filmmakers in the countries and the parts of the world that I want to. That is the long term goal, but it's the work together. It's the work together. It's finding the right people. That's that's everything in this business. That's the long term success. Yeah. I mean, look, I think anyone who gets to gets to be lucky enough to have you be a part of their journey i think is uh and i'm not just saying that because it's being i I love you thank (laughs) you but i mean it so i just want to thank you so much for the continued advice and guidance generally speaking but then also to finding another hour of your life to talk to me more (laughs) in this conversation and so that we can share it It means it means a lot to me and i appreciate your time and i appreciate this platform i'm so happy that you have this platform to share your love and your passion and to have the folks that you've had on to continue to inspire our community. It's it's my honor. So the sun rises tomorrow. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. I love it. <laughs> 
And that's this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you don't already, please subscribe, rate, review on Apple, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Follow me on the socials. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Life with Kaka. And I'll see you next week. Beijos. <laughs>